Let's begin our discussion. We're doing a series called Foundations. What are our foundational fundamental beliefs? They're depicted here wonderfully by Marty Engvall, who I appreciate more than words could express for providing this wonderful backdrop for us. We began, go right ahead, feel free to do so. We began our study by laying a foundation in the Word of God, the Bible. It's our starting point. And then we moved on, and this is where we are now, to discussion about God. Last week, we discussed His existence. Does He exist? And I did not prove to you His existence, because it's only the fool who has said in his heart, there is no God. Instead, I mentioned to you uh, that all we have to do is declare the existence of God because it has been clearly demonstrated in two primary ways. One internal, the voice of our conscience, and the other external, the evidence of God in creation. So I think any thinking reasonable person comes to the conclusion God is. Now, if you've gotten that far, let me take you to a second step tonight. We've answered the question, does God exist? But now this question, if God exists... Who made him? Who created the creator? And that's what we want to discuss tonight. Now I'll give you the answer right up front. So if you want to leave because there's something on TV, you'll be fine. So just turn if you have a Bible. And if not, we have one for you right uh, on the back of the chair in front of you. You help yourself. And this is easy to find. First book, first chapter, first verse. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Turn there, would you? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The beautiful sound of rustling Bible pages. Fantastic. Wonderful. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this clearly tells me that God existed before that which he created. In the beginning, God, he already was. Then what followed is what he called into being, namely the heavens and the earth. In other words, nobody, nothing made him. He is self-existent. In other words, He is the unmade maker of the universe. He's the maker, but he's the unmade maker of the universe. And in being the unmade maker, he's categorically different than the rest of us. He stands alone. He is alone, self-existent, self-generating. For each of us, that's not true. Everyone here owes his or her existence to... Two other folks. (laughs) You just didn't happen. Everyone here had a time when they were not and then a time when they became. And we're really glad that that happened. So we celebrate our birthdays. Last week I had you shout them all out. and I, I have forgotten all of yours, but I hope you remember mine. But I wonder if you could just turn to someone next to you and just say, Happy birthday. Would you do that? Just say, Happy birthday. In fact, let's just sing. Let's sing. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, everybody. Yeah. Happy birthday. Sure. Absolutely. We acknowledge it. It's a special event. Oh, man, it's the beginning of you. But technically, 
We don't sing that to God because he always existed. He's pre-existent. And so in being the unmade maker, God is categorically different than the rest of us. So if you're really wrestling with this question, am I God? I think we just proved to you, you ain't. Okay, so if you're taking notes, write that down. There's only one God and I am not he. So just write that down. That'll really help you out quite a bit in life. Each of us here came into being. Everyone here was made. Each of us was created. But this is not true of Almighty God. There never was a time when the God who is was not. And there never can be a time when the God who is will cease to be. So he is different than the rest of us. Nobody brought him into being. Nobody made him. He's the unmade maker of us all. His existence, in other words, is not due to anybody or anything, he being self-existent. Wonderful verse that brings this out is in John chapter 5, verse 26. John chapter 5, verse 26. As you turn there, can you see why we started with the Bible? Otherwise, in me sharing with you John 5, 26, you'd have every reason to say, well, 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 well how am I supposed to be uh, thinking that's reliable? How do I know that's God's word? How do I know it's without error? So, so we spoke about all those things, and I hope you're persuaded about all those, so that when you look now at John 5, 26, you know you're on holy ground. This is God's word. Look what it says. For just as the Father has life, where is it? In himself. See? Even so, he gave to the Son. What's his name? Right. Also to have life in himself. You see? So that's a statement of God's self-existence. He's the generator of life, but nobody bequeathed life to him. You see, life is in himself. Now, if you look around here, and you don't need to really do that to know this is true, we're different. We have our differences, both in ages and genders and all the rest. Very, very different. But really, we have much more in common in here than you might think. For instance, every single person in this room has this in common. Everyone here is dependent on other people or things in order to survive. We really have that in common. We are utterly dependent for our very survival on other people or things. But this is absolutely not true of the God who we worship. This is not the nature of God. He's different than us in this respect. He is not dependent on anyone or anything in order to exist and be sustained. But you and I are. He does not need our help. He doesn't need our abilities. In fact, he does not need anything we have and that we might give to him. He doesn't need it. And this is brought home to me quite clearly, I think, to you too, if you take a look. Acts chapter 17, verse 25. Acts chapter 17, verse 25. Really good passage. They all are. They're not so hard to live by, but they sure are good to read. Acts chapter 17, verse 25. Neither is he served by human hands. I remember once visiting uh, the Acropolis in Athens, Greece, and we went up to the Parthenon in which used to be this magnificent colossal statue to uh, the Greek goddess Athena. 
She's not there anymore. The statue, I guess, has fallen to the ground, but they said its dimensions were enormous. And uh, people, uh, those who worshipped her, would come in regularly to provide her with fruits and vegetables and so on because you don't want a hungry God, you know what I mean? Because, you know, you're praying to a hungry God. That God may be in a bad mood when you're praying. So you've got to feed that God. You see, what kind of God is it who's dependent on you to bring fruits and vegetables? Come on, folks. That's no God at all. Here it says, neither is he, that is the God of the Bible, served by human hands. You can keep your fruits and vegetables. You need them. God doesn't. As though he needs anything since he himself gives. He's the giver. He himself gives to all life and breath and all things. Now, this being the case, let me just share with you some bad news. Well, I'll tell you what. Would you share it with one another? Again, turn to that person you said happy birthday to uh, because I feel like you're friends at this point. And would you just as lovingly as you could Uh, But as honestly as you could, look that person in the eye and just tell that person, hey, God doesn't need you. Go right ahead. Have a good time. All righty. Let's pray and go home now. We have edified each other sufficiently. We sang to each other and then tore each other down. God doesn't, that's the bad news. But here, here's the good news. And I think you better tell your friend this because that you won't be friends. You better tell your friend. Yeah, it is true that God doesn't need you. But here's the good news. God wants you very much. Tell your friend that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. See, in weeks ahead, Lord willing, because I can't determine the future, only he can. I'd like for us to get to a Wednesday night. We will, Lord willing, as I say, when we'll talk about his nature to be loving. Right now, you're just going to have to trust me on this. No, you don't. You know he is. I have to tell you, he's not dependent on us. He really doesn't need us for anything, and that makes his love all the more meaningful. He really, really wants a connection with us. It's quite amazing, but it is true. So then God alone is the creator. I love the way Nehemiah, he's Jewish, you know. I love the way he stated this in Nehemiah chapter 9, if you want to turn there. Verse 6, I'm really making you cover some territory tonight. This is a good way to kind of keep you awake. Nehemiah chapter 9 Verse 6, take a look there. Oh, I tell you, it's expressed in such a wonderful way. The fact that God alone is the creator. Nehemiah, it is, chapter 9, verse 6. You alone art the Lord. Oh, I just wish everybody could get that. (laughs) You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly host bow down, bows down before you. What's, what a clear statement of the creatorship of the creator. He created all things, this God we worship, but he himself is the uncreated one. 
Now, something else about him. Not only is he the uncreated one, but he, God, also exists apart from that which he has created. Now, that might make you a little nervous, but hang in there just a little bit. He created all that there is, including us, but exists apart from that which he has created. In other words, some people refer to him, I think, quite accurately as transcendent. Have you heard that word? God being trans... He tra- he's above and beyond us's. He's apart from all these magnificent... What's the tallest mountain in the world? Is it uh, Mount Everest or something like... Listen, I want to tell you, he's way higher than Mount Everest, you see. He's, he's apart from that. He's the creator and is distinct from what he has created. He... He exists apart from it all. He's, he transcends it all. This is the transcendence of Almighty God. He's separate from His creation, above and beyond all that which He has created. Therefore, this is really good news for us if you track my thinking here. He, he is not confined to the universe He has made. I, I, I mean, uh, we're locked into this. You know what I mean? Uh, one time, a, a man came home, told his wife, honey, I've been thinking about it and saving. I want to take us on a trip around the world. She says, no, I want to go somewhere else. <laughs> well, I, you see, you, wh- where? I mean, wh- see, we're confined. Where are you going to go? I mean, we're, we're locked into this space-time dimension. These are things God simply created, the element of space and the element of time. But he's not imprisoned or limited by them, but us as are. We're in space and, and, and we're in time, and, and that's the way it is. But God is not confined to either space or time. He, he made the laws of the universe, oh yeah, but he himself is not limited by them. Not only that, he can override the laws of the universe anytime he chooses to. Don't you agree? You know what that's called? A miracle. When God overrides the laws by which the universe, which he has created, operate, that's called a miracle. When, when there's a suspension of a natural law, that's a supernatural intervention, which only God can do. That's called a miracle. But you know what? We ought to thank God that he doesn't do that too often. Now, I want to tell you, what if miracles were the rule and not the exception to the rule? If miracles were the rule, you wouldn't know which end is up. No, I, want, I, I just got, if God is always suspending the natural laws he put into existence, as some people, particularly on TV, tell you all the time, there's all these miracles, miracles, miracles. Well, but then, then the miracles become the norm, and the norm is the exception. No, but I'm, I want to tell you, the, the norm is the norm, and the norm is... The law of gravity. I don't recommend this up there, but if you chose to kind of throw yourself off the edge of that deal, you're, you're going down. Um, you, it, it, now, there might be the exception. God could suspend that law, but I, I, probably he, he, he won't. Probably he doesn't because he wants us. He's a God of order. So we live in an ordered universe. So now, uh, now listen, there's, there's God's intervention in all manner of things, but there aren't all these miracles. Yeah, yeah. Listen, listen, put your hand over here. On, uh, well, not here, on, on yours is what I meant. On your, on your heart. Yeah, on, on your heart. You, you feel that? That is unbelievable to me. That organ is pumping. I'm 57 years old. That baby is going. 
Now, I'm not trying to be arrogant because it, it may stop in the next beat. I mean, we don't know. But that's just an amazing what thing right there. Now, I might say, that's a, a miracle. And that's okay to say something like that. It's just that it's theologically incorrect. This is technically not a miracle. Oh, no, no. It is designed by Almighty God who, who created the anatomy and makes this marvelous thing work and carry us about. But there's nothing miraculous about it. it it's just divine providence that gave us. Now, now look, now, if, if the heart somehow, as we're standing here, in full view of you, moved from my chest cavity into one of yours, boom. Could that happen? Sure, God can do anything. You know what I would call that? A big-time miracle. This would be like some kind of unforgettable sermon here tonight. You see, so that would be a miracle because that's, that's an exception to the laws of nature. So you want to be careful about all these miracle services, this, that, and the other. You mean, if that's all happening all the time, we are living in a chaotic universe you can't count on. Is there going to be morning followed by evening today? Well, I don't know. God may just whimsically turn it about. Thank God he doesn't. He's a God of order. So he made all these laws, but he himself is not limited by them. He can override them anytime he wants. Now, now that he is not confined to the laws of the universe means he's not a prisoner of time. I saw several of you looking at your watches already. Don't you think I can't see? We are prisoners of time. I'm telling you folks, I can't hardly even function without a watch. And you know how it is. We're just, that's how it is. We're prisoners of time. Well, God created time, but is himself not subject to it. You see, time began at creation, but God didn't begin with time. (laughs) He always was. Isn't this marvel? In case you're wondering, why should I worship him? Whoa, He exists outside of time. I think I would attribute worth to a deity who is not confined to that which confines all the rest of us. He's eternal, in other words. Time lasts both directions in eternity past and eternity future. You know the Bible says he has no beginning nor any end. I think I should worship him and so should you. And and that's why we do. Now this is a kind of a cool deal. That God is timeless means he does not change. See if you buy that. That he is timeless means he doesn't change. I'll tell you why I say that. Change requires time. By definition, change requires time. Since God is not confined to time, he never changes. Now, I have to tell you something. That is major good news for you and I. He doesn't grow. He doesn't get better. He doesn't develop. He is who he is in all of his perfections. So in Hebrew, refer to him as Elohim. It's a plural word for one God because it's the best we could do to try to describe the majesty of this majestic God who is all the time, always was, and always will be perfect in all of his attributes and characteristics. He doesn't get any better because he's perfect in all of his perfections. We ought to worship him, don't you think? So he doesn't change. 
if he saved you on whatever day it was, you never have to worry about him changing his mind. You are forever secure. Because he doesn't change. Oh, I love James chapter 1, verse 17. James 1, 17. James wrote that. He was a brother of the Lord. He bowed down to him when he, after the resurrection. That ought to make us worship him, I'll tell you that. We'll get to the resurrection here too. One of these days we'll talk about why we believe Jesus is alive today. Anyway, uh, the Lord's brother writes this. Every good thing bestowed. Look no further, folks. Every good. We all want every good thing. Look no further. Here it is right here. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above. No need to go to the mall anymore. It's from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom, here's the part I want to emphasize, there is no variation or shifting shadow. Yesterday I was in a bad mood, and and, uh, I was talking to Tammy. Do you know Tammy Fort? She's a doll. I wasn't actually talking to Tammy. She was talking to me. And I was in a bad mood about something, didn't want to talk about it. So I saw her today and she said, are you in a better mood? And and I I said, yeah, I was until you asked me that. But I mean, here's the deal. Just a human and so are you. There's lots of variation with us, don't you think? So we do the best we can. We try to forgive each other and cut each other some slack. That's the way it is. But you will never have to worry about God having a bad day, not getting enough sleep, being irritable or anything like that. Listen, your father always has time for you. Make time for him. There is no variation or shifting shadow with him. So the creator transcends creation. He is in and of himself. He's outside of time and space. The world came from him, but the world is not him. Therefore, don't worship the world. Mm. Worship the world maker. Now, though God must not be confused with what he has created, and though God existed before the world was which he has created, And though God is separate from what he has created, make no mistake about it, he remains deeply concerned about what he has created. Deeply concerned. And so though he exists outside of time and space, he intervenes in time and space to perform his perfect will and to relate personally to his creation. Can you tell me the name of the one who has come to make contact with us? His name is... Yeah, you see, transcendent God, uh, he connected with us. So he's not the disinterested spectator of the world which he has created, though he exists apart from it. Oh, he's deep. For God so loved the world that he gave his. See, only begotten means one of a kind, not replaceable. He didn't have two. I'll give you one. I'll keep one. Oh, no. There's only one Lord Jesus Christ. He gave his, that anyone who would believe in him would have life forever. So, 
He exists outside of space and time, but he intervenes in it to personally connect with it. So though he is transcendent, he did not set the universe in motion, you know, get it rolling down the hill <laughs> and then go off somewhere. He didn't say to the rest of us now, fend, fend for yourself. He did not merely call the world into being. He continually sustains it. It's based upon his providential sustenance that the world continues, that we continue, that there are rains and sun and all the rest. He's transcendent, but he didn't go off somewhere and forget the world which he has made. Therefore, we whom he has created are not at the mercy of arbitrary, impersonal winds of fate. There's such an increasing leaning in that direction today where crazy, mystical, nutso things are happening. I try to be kind, but no, folks, this is our father's world and he's got the whole world in his hands. We're not at the mercy of the winds of fate, you know, you know, the forces out there, whatever. No, transcendent God has his hand on the world which he has made indeed. And so our world is sustained and supported. It's, it's held together by him. I read this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. Colossians 1, verse 17, I'll read it to you. And he is before all things. So there's his preexistence. And in him... All things hold together. I mean, the basic unit of life, the atom, should not be held together, I'm told, by people who are smarter than me. There's like charges in that thing. We learned this in school. I didn't pay attention much. Some things are positive, negative. It should not be holding itself together. But Colossians 1, 17, excuse me, those of you who are scientists, this is... This is quite simplistic, but Colossians chapter 1 verse 17 tells me, in him all things held together. I wish I knew this. I would have told my eighth grade science teacher, I don't have to come anymore. <laughs> I already figured out. I know how the atom works. God just holds it together. You're not talking about neutron and proton and pluton and Pluto. And I don't, I don't know. So here's the deal about the God we worship. He is both at the same time transcendent and here's another word, imminent. And that just means he's in touch. <laughs> transcendent, that means he's the great beyond. Imminent means, yeah, but he's also connected and in touch. Now, here's the deal, folks, as we kind of come to a close here. The deal is to keep both the transcendence and the imminence of God in balance because you can get in trouble if you get out of balance in one or the other direction. Here's, here's what I mean. For some people, God is so transcendent. He is so far out of this world that he has absolutely no personal interest in or connection to it. And those people are called deists. It's, it's, a, it's a, a philosophical school called deism, D-E-I-S-M. And you'd be surprised, maybe painfully surprised, to know some of our founding fathers were deists. Uh, Thomas Jefferson was a uh, deist. He was a churchgoer, but a deist, not a theist. So just going to church, you've got to do more than that. You have, to, you have to know Jesus as your personal Savior. So he was a deist, and there are many deists, and they essentially say there is a God. 
And he created the world for sure. And then when he finished, he said, I'm done and be warmed and be filled. Do the best you could. And so that invalidates prayer. There's no sense praying to a God who's so far gone. You can't get in touch with him. Miracle can't ever happen because God has taken his hand off the world. And you and I are in a heap of trouble. We better fix this thing up ourselves because God's not going to lend a helping hand. So you see, the deists are, are uh, really focused on self more, much more than they are the creator. That's deism. So if you're too off in the direction of the transcendence of God, you're going to be a deist. But you can get too far off in the direction of the imminence of God, and that is God personally involved with his world. And that would be called pantheism. Pan, all, theism, God. It means all is God, the mountain is God, the river is God, the tree is God. And if all is God, God is all. So the way you access God is not through his incarnate and fleshed son who made him known and visible to us. No, he's all around you. Just worship the mountains and the trees and so on. You remember John Denver? I don't want to speak ill of those who've passed on, or really of anyone, and, and, and I'm not. I mean, but for the grace of God... What would she, exactly? I, I know how you feel. In fact, that's just how John Denver used to sound in some of his songs. You know, he used to go Rocky Mountain High. You remember how you said it would sound just like the little child. But anyway, uh, you know, he he sang actually beautifully. And where do you live in Colorado and stuff? And man, that's just some beautiful. Well, oh, you you know, if you're going to be a pantheist, that's like the place to go. You know. Uh, I'd go there before, like, say, Lamarck or something because there'd be more evidence for you to work with. So he, would, he was a pantheist, is, is, is what the poor guy. I hope he got it straightened out. I don't know if he did or not. But, so if you go off too far in the direction of, you know, uh, God is in touch, then everything you touch is God. But don't confuse. Then you're going to confuse the, the creation with the creator. Native American uh, uh, religious uh, belief is very uh, influenced by pantheism. So there would be prayers, would there not, to the God of the rivers and the so on and, you know, the mountains and so on. But no, see, that would be pantheism. So you want to be careful. You want to hold in tension the fact that God is both transcendent and imminent at the sea. Try to hold them in balance. Now, to help you do this, I give you one verse. We'll close with this. I, I promise, promise you we'll do that. Isaiah chapter 57. This is worth you uh, hunting down. Isaiah 57 verse 15. This is really a good one. Isaiah 57 verse, verse 15. Because if you look at it carefully, you'll see in it both the transcendence and the imminence of God. So you just get that you want you can memorize this and that'll help you to keep those two things in balance if you want to. Isaiah 57 is what it is, verse 15. For thus says the high and exalted one. Now if you had to choose if this was a test, would you say that's a reference to his transcendence or imminence? Transcendence. That is right. High and exalted one who lives forever. Transcendence or imminence? 
transcendence. You see, he's transcending time and death and all the rest, whose name is holy. Transcendence or imminence? He transcends sin and temptation and evil and corruption and defilement, all the stuff which we're so used to. He's not. I dwell on a high and holy place. Transcendence or imminence? Transcendence. See, I dwell on a high and holy place. And also, oh, thank him for the also. And also with the contrite and lowly of spirit. Transcendence or imminence? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Folks, in order to revive the spirit of the lowly, transcendence or imminence? Imminence. And to revive the heart of the contrite, which is that? Imminence. You just wiggle your toes if you're contrite. That means crushed a little bit. Just wiggle your toes. You just wiggle your toes if you're one of these who is kind of lowly of spirit. Your inner person is kind of maybe taking a beating today or in the last few days. And there's a measure of woundedness, this measure of emptiness, I don't know, a hole you experience. Well, this is for you. This transcendent God came near to you. He's the creator. Don't confuse him with the creation. He's not dependent on you, me, or anybody for his existence. But if he came near to you, won't you come near to him? Could I just stop there and invite our pastor to come and to take us a little further? If God came near to us, should we not come near to him? Would you listen as our pastor leads us? I want us to change for a moment. We have been blessed. I want you to be a blessing. I don't want you to leave the building. So I've got my blessing. I'm going home. I've got a lot to do. I've got to get up early in the morning. Stick around. Be a blessing. In just a moment, you're going to have a chance to be a blessing. There's going to be an opportunity to witness a baptismal service. The couple that was going to be baptized in the beginning was a little bit late. But we're not going to miss this blessing, and we're not going to let them miss this blessing. And Brother Chuck is going to be baptizing them. And you can give me the signal, sound engineers, whenever you like, or, uh, as to when they are ready. If they're ready right now, I'm waiting because I've got a plan, okay? How long before they'll be ready? All right. All right. Now watch, folks, watch. Settle down a minute. I want you to stand right now in gratitude to a Savior who died on a cross that people like us and these that will be baptized now could be gloriously born again and saved. Let's stand in support and be a blessing as we pray for them as Brother Chuck baptizes. son right over here, Adrian, they came to our church because a friend right up here, Heather, brought them on Monday. Erica was uh, going through some great family tribulation, and she came to talk about that, and in the process of talking, she realized that she needed a relationship with our Savior. She asked Jesus to come into her heart. She repented of her sins, 
and afterwards he said, I can see now how God can use trials and troubles to draw us to him. And she asked Jesus to come into her heart, and after she did that, she said, can I go get my son, and would you share with him what you shared with me? And I did that, and Adrian received Jesus as Savior and repented of his sins. And now, mother and son, come to obedience to our Lord to be baptized. Erica, because you have publicly professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's a privilege for me now, my sister, to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ into his death. Raised to walk in the newness of life. This is Adrian. He's seven years old. Adrian, because you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, it's a privilege for me, my little brother, to baptize you now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Buried with Christ into his death. Raised to walk in the newness of life. Adrian Beltran, let's pray for this mother and son. Father, how we rejoice in seeing mother and son receive you and now obedient to you in baptism. We pray that you bless them. We pray that they put on the whole armor of God. We pray that the church would be very instrumental in helping them grow to be all that you want them to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Remain standing. <clears throat> Last night I traveled to Groveton, Texas, the First Baptist Church, where I spoke to a large number of people. The building was filled with folks that listened to us on the radio and the Crockett station that BJ and Laura Garner pay for. Uh, every week they pay. That's where BJ grew up, and that's their ministry back to the hometown. Many folks were there that had come to know Christ, and uh, when I got to the end of the message, we sang the song we're fixing to sing right now, Only Trust Him, Only Trust Him. He'll save you and He'll save you now. We just had a glorious time, and I met a bunch of people that used to be at Sagemont, and all of them were talking about different things that touched their lives, the counseling ministry, the children's ministry, the student ministry, the hospital ministry, Brother Stewart's teaching. Uh, I mean, it just went on and on and on of the touch of God on people's lives. But people trusted him, and he saved them in East Texas and uh, uh, put them in a place where they could serve the Lord. Here's what I want us to do tonight. <clears throat> First of all, I want to ask all of you that are here tonight, if you're in the balcony, I'm going to impose on you and give you time to come all the way to the platform. If you're here tonight and there's a material need in your life, I know the Kempers need a place to live. Some of you need a car. Some of you need a job. Some of you need a finances. I don't know what it might be. But if that is a need, and you'd acknowledge it before a God that promises to provide our needs according to his riches and glory, and you believe in prayer, I want you to just come stand at this altar. That's the first group I want to invite to come. Would you just come and stand right here, right now? If there is a physical, material need in your life,
If you'd like to kneel, that'll be fine. But I just invite you to stand as many of you as say, this is a need that I have. And I believe in prayer that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much. And we have been blessed tonight as Brother Stewart has talked to us about what a mighty God that we bow down to. Nothing is too hard for him. I want each of you to be praying right now for that need. We're going to pray for you and with you in a minute, but I want you to just start. God, you know the need. Lay it out before him and just pray. Now then, I want another group to join this group. If you're here tonight and your need is a health-related need, there is uncertainties, there's tests that cause concern. You're facing surgery, high blood pressure or whatever. But you believe that God is a great physician and that people can pray and God can touch and people can be healed. And you don't believe that that was over with when Jesus left, that God doesn't heal anybody today. I don't think there's any kind of healing but divine healing. I have a problem sometimes with healers, but I don't have any problem with divine healing. All healing, I believe, comes from him. Do you have that need? I want you to come stand. We're going to pray for you. Just come and stand right here and lift up that need to the Lord. Just lift it up. Now, while this group is coming, I want to invite another group to come. There's a relational need. Maybe it's with you and a child. Maybe it's with you and a mate. Maybe it's with you and a brother and a sister. I was involved early this morning with a brother and sister dispute. Silliest thing you ever heard in your life, unless you were the brother or the sister. And it was a big thing for them. But it was causing a breaking relationship that God didn't want to be broken. But you'd want to bring that need to the Lord. I want you to just come right now. I want to give one other thing right now, and that is, if you're here and you need an answer, you're a Gideon, you've got a fleece out, should I or should I not? Should it be yes or should it be no? Should I continue this relationship or should I not? It might be in that area, but, but you're a face. You want to honor God in a decision. Maybe you've been offered a job and you don't know where to take it. Maybe it has to do with a proposal. He's asked me to marry him, but I don't know whether I should. It could be like that. I don't know. But you just believe that if you could get a word from God, you could make that decision, and you go out of here tonight and say, I know what I'm going to do. It's yes or no. I'm not halting between two opinions. I'm going with what God's told me to do. I want you to come and stand down here. Now, just a moment, John Mark, we're going to sing, Only Trust Him. Here's what I want us to do. While these people are praying for their need, I want you to join me in praying for these specific needs. And I want you, if you would, if you're down here, to come as close to the altar as you can and give me just a little bit of room, if you can, behind you. 
Just come this way as much as you can to make room for another group. I'm going to give an opportunity to come to the altar the behind you. So come look behind you and see, could people get down the aisle that I'm standing in? Could they come to the altar? And I want our staff, someone in each of the aisles. Dr. Skip, you're right there. Would you step out there? Brother Roy Gale may be over here. Uh, you guys just work it out. But somebody behind the group that can meet anyone, it would come down an aisle right now. <clears throat> We're going to pray for these needs. God cares about these things. But the most important thing is, maybe you're here tonight and what you need is a Savior. You need sin forgiven. You need something that money can't buy and death can't take away from you. You need a relationship with a real God that's imminent and transcendent and eternal and all-powerful and omniscient and omnipresent. That's what I need. I don't need religion, but, oh, I need a personal relationship with a resurrected God. Here's what I want you to do while we sing. We're going to first pray. Then we're going to sing. If you tonight would come out of the crowd and say, I want Jesus in my life. I want to tell the world about Jesus like the mother and son who are now a sister and a brother. We'll explain that to you later. But that's what they are now. They're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And say, that's what I need. I need family. And I want to be a part of the family of God. This is an opportunity for you to do that. Just to slip out and say to one of these staff, I want, I don't even understand what I'm asking for, but I want Jesus in my life. Can you help me? And every one of these can help you. Would you let us do it? First let me pray, then let's sing. And if you need to come out of the balcony or down here, would you come? God has blessed us tonight. God has anointed Brother Stewart with a wonderful message. And the Bible says, my word will not return void. Somebody tonight may get saved. And it will be worth everything for one. Jesus would have died if you would have been the only person in the world for him to come to this earth for. Would you let me pray for these folks? And then, folks, would you just claim that God has heard and God is going to respond and then you start praying that lost might be saved tonight, okay? Our Heavenly Father, as we stand at this altar and kneel at this altar and stand in this auditorium, we want you to know we love you. You're awesome. Beyond anything that we can comprehend. And Lord, there's not a need at this altar that you can't supply whether it is a material thing, a physical healing, a relational problem, a job, you can do it all. And some of us are walking through the valley tonight, Lord, and you know that, and we acknowledge it. We don't know which way to turn except upward. Some are flat on their back, and the only way to look is up. And we believe, Father, that you brought us to this moment and, and delivered this message to us tonight that we could be reminded 
of what a mighty God that wants to adopt us into his family. So I pray, <coughs> I pray, Father, that you'll meet the need according to your riches and glory. And I'm praying that it'll be done in such a way that no one will get any credit except Jesus. And that all glory will go to you. But the world will see that God loves his kids. And when one of them hurts, it brings tears to the eyes of God. But in all things, may you have the preeminence. That's our prayer. That's our claim. And now, Father, as we thank you and rejoice and weep, and as we're just quiet and lift up those that are here that have been turned off by some that they've seen, and there might be some of us that they've seen or heard. And religion is not a good thing in their mind. But somehow may the Holy Spirit block that out and may they see Jesus and sense the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of God and the personal thing that God wants to do in their life tonight by adopting them into the family of God. I'm praying, Father, that someone will leave their place they're standing right now. Maybe it's in the top of the balcony. Maybe it's on the front row. But they'll step out to one of your servants and one of your ministers and say, I tonight want Jesus in my life. I give my life to him. God, may it happen now. And we're trusting you for it. And all of our prayers in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together. Just stand right here. Don't move anyone down here. Just stand. We'll close.